There are certain nutrients like zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D that are critical for optimal immune function. But once you have sufficient levels, there's no additional benefit for immune function by adding extra on top of it. So we just need to have sufficient levels of nutrients. And where should we get them? Not the supplement aisle. We should get them in the produce aisle. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. A word of warning before we get going. Today's show is going to be enormous. So if you have a problem with enormity, please stop listening right now because we have two of the biggest names in health and nutrition on one broadcast. They are going to be teaming up to answer your questions. Both of these gentlemen are best-selling authors and both are here to help make the world a healthier place. Doctors Neil Barnard and Michael Greger are going to join us for one of the most enlightening segments that we have ever had on the exam room. And Dr. Greger and I were also going to be following up on a discussion that we had a couple of months back about his new book, How to Survive a Pandemic. And there's so much to get into about this. I put up a clip from the interview on my Twitter and Instagram pages where I asked Dr. Greger what would happen if all of the meat markets in the world were to shut down. What effect would that have on our health? Would we even be having this pandemic or another? Well, his response was surprising, but it was also spot on. I mean, spot, spot on. So we're going to be getting into that, the things that we should all be doing to increase our chances of surviving a pandemic, and we're going to be answering your questions. But that, my friend, is just one part of today's show, because you will also be hearing from a woman who overcame obstacle after obstacle that life had thrown her way. We're talking about alcohol abuse drug abuse, an abusive relationship, obesity, a fear of living her true identity. It's enough to wear you out just listening to it, wear you down. And it may even make you question a lot of things, right? If you were in that position, like, would you even want to live? Well, for Kathleen Gage, that answer was... Yes, and so launched a transformation and rebuilding of herself and her health and that drive and that dedication that led her to the top of the business and marketing worlds and eventually to a plant-based diet. Ditching meat and dairy turned out to be the final piece to Kathleen's puzzle and what she's doing now After reinventing herself again, what is she doing? It's going to make anyone wonder what it is that they're doing with their life. There is an awesome story coming your way. But first, let's revisit one epic segment on the exam room live where Dr. Michael Greger will teach us how to survive a pandemic. And then Dr. Barnard is going to join him. And then we will open up the doctor's mailbag and the two of them are going to team up to answer your questions. So to borrow a line from The Miz, it's going to be awesome. Let's turn 
our attention to Dr. Greger's new book. He is, in fact, a multiple-time New York Times bestselling author, uh, founding member of the Fellow of American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and, of course, one of the leading voices in the importance of plant-based nutrition. Hot off the digital press, you see it right there on the screen, is his newest book, How to Survive a Pandemic. Dr. Michael Greger, so glad that you could join us here today. I am so honored to be back. All right. Well, let's start right off at the top, my friend. How does one survive the pandemic? What are the keys? Well, in How to Survive a Pandemic, I try to cover everything we need to know to protect ourselves and our family from the current pandemic threat, from optimal uh, respiratory hygiene and hand hygiene, surface disinfection, masks, how to make your own you know, hand sanitizer, on down the list. But the best way to survive a pandemic is to prevent it in the first place. And so actually the bulk of the book centers around tracing the origins of the coronavirus and what we can do to prevent even greater infectious disease threats in the future. I love the amount of research that you put into this thing because it, it dates back generations, centuries or more. And you and you really did a very good job of pointing that this storm that we currently find ourselves in, this thing has been brewing for a long time. Oh, in fact, I mean, in fact, most of the major human diseases um, that afflict humanity can actually be traced back to our domestication of farm animals. For example, tuberculosis is thought to have been acquired through the domestication of goats. Measles, also from goats or sheep. Smallpox um, has been traced through the domestication of camels. We domesticated pigs and got whooping cough. We domesticated chickens and got typhoid fever and ducks and got influenza. Leprosy came from water buffalo, a common cold from cattle or horses. How often did uh, horses have the opportunity to sneeze into humanity's face until they're broken and bridled, right? Until then, they were, uh, the common cold was presumably only common to them. But he said, wait a second, we domesticated animals thousands of years ago. Why now, over the last few decades, do we have hundreds of new pathogens emerging at a rate unprecedented in human history? Emerged from where? Mostly from animals. The AIDS virus has been blamed on the bushmeat trade in Africa from the uh, butchering of primates. Uh, but mad cow disease was because we turned cows into you know, carnivores and cannibals. COVID-19 and SARS have been traced to the exotic wild animal trade. But, you know, the last pandemic, swine flu in 2009, uh, was not from some backwater wet market in Asia, but rather largely made in the USA on industrial pig operations here in the United States. Thankfully, swine flu only uh, killed about a half million people. But the next time, we might not be so lucky. There's a great quote in the book from Jay Leno. It says, where chicken soup used to cure the flu, now it gives you the flu. I mean, that's funny, but it does lead to a, a serious question, though. If all of these meat markets, these wet markets that we're talking about, both in China and then here domestically in the States, if all of them were to close what would the net effect be on our health worldwide? Well, I mean, I think closing uh, live animal markets go a long way towards preventing the next coronavirus pandemic. But according to the CDC, the leading candidate for the next pandemic is a bird flu virus known as H7N9, which is 100 times deadlier than COVID-19. Instead of 1 in 250 cases dying, H7N9 has killed 40% of the people infected. So, you know, COVID-19 may just be a dress rehearsal for an even greater threat waiting in the wings of chickens. The last time a bird flu virus jumped directly from, uh, from birds to humans, it triggered the deadliest plague in human history, the 1918 flu pandemic, which killed 50 million people. That had a 2% death rate. All right, what if we had a pandemic infecting billions where death was closer to a, a flip of a coin. But the good news is that there's something we can do about it. Again, just um, like, uh, you know, eliminating the exotic animal trade in live uh, animal markets may help prevent the next coronavirus. Reforming the way we raise domestic animals for food may help forestall the next killer flu. All right. 
And I think that the majority of people watching right now have one singular question on their mind. They're fans of yours. They're fans of Dr. Barnard. They want to read this new book, but they're probably wondering, well, if I start eating better, if I really adopt that plant-based diet, make no exceptions to it, how much protection will that offer me from not just this current pandemic, but future pandemics as well? Well, you know, uh, Dr. Barnard really nailed it on the head, right? Consider the underlying risk factors for COVID-19, for severity and death, obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, and type 2 diabetes, all of which can be controlled or even reversed with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. You know, excess body fat alone seems to be a risk factor independent of diabetes. So even, and you don't have to be obese, just being overweight can significantly increase your risk. Those with a body mass index or BMI of 28, which is like being 175 pounds at the average American height of five foot six, um, puts you at nearly six times the odds of suffering a severe course with COVID-19. That's BMI 28. The average BMI in the United States is 29. So even being skinnier than the average American, you could still have so much excess body fat puts you at significantly higher risk. So this is the time we should take this opportunity to start cleaning up our diet. Yes, sufficient sleep. Yes, keeping active. Yes, reducing stress. Yes, uh, remaining connected, albeit remotely to friends and family, right? Uh, but, But the most important thing we can do to protect ourselves is to eat a healthy diet. Now, that's for the current pandemic. Um, For preventing the next pandemic, because the leading threat are these bird flu viruses, um, uh, then we really have to rethink how we are raising domestic animals for food. You know, when we, uh, you know, overcrowd thousands of animals, these cramped, filthy football field-sized sheds like beak-to-beak, or snout to snout atop their own waist. It's just a breeding ground uh, for disease. There's the sheer numbers of animals, uh, the, 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 the overcrowding, the, the stress crippling their immune systems, the ammonia from the decomposing waste burning their lungs, lack of fresh air, lack of sunlight. You put all these factors together, and what you have is really kind of a perfect storm environment for the emergence and spread of these so-called super strains of influenza. The bottom line is that it's not worth risking the lives of millions of people for the sake of cheaper chicken. All right. Get your questions ready. Keep on posting them in the comment section already getting flooded. So make sure that you type yours in now. Dr. Gregor, Dr. Barnard, you guys ready to open up the doctor's mailbag? You bet. All right, Dr. Gregor, the first one comes to you. This is from Hogan. He's wondering if you could give an update on the role that vitamin D plays in reducing the risk for getting the coronavirus and other infections. There are certain nutrients like zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D that are critical for optimal immune function. But once you have sufficient levels, there's no additional benefit uh, for immune function by adding extra on top of it. So we just need to have sufficient levels of nutrients. And where should we get them? Not the supplement aisle. We should get them in the produce aisle. Of course, vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin, um, is acquired through uh, adequate sun exposure. Um, and this is the time to be getting outside, enjoying uh, this wonderful weather. Really, the greatest risk of transmission from um, the COVID-19 virus is confined, indoor, crowded spaces. Very few cases of transmission have been linked to outdoor transmission. So as long as you're social distancing, we should get out, uh, have fresh air, of course, continue to wear a mask um, um, and, 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 uh, and uh, sanitize or wash our hands before touching our mucous membranes. Um, our eyes, nose, and mouth after touching a public surface. But um, uh, one of the reasons it's uh, good to go outside is to get um, the vitamin D if for whatever reason you can't go outside. And there are certain very vulnerable populations, elderly, frail populations, those over the age 65, 70, we really need to continue um, to maintain um, those critical social distancing because there's such higher risk of, of disease and death or people that come in contact with um, older or frail people. And so for anyone who needs, for whatever reason, to stay inside over prolonged periods of time, then you could take a, you know, 2,000 international units of vitamin 
um, a day a day. But again, it really comes down to just getting sufficient nutrition. And the way we do that is center our diets around the healthiest foods out there. And that's fruits, vegetables, legumes, which are beans, slippy, chickpea, and lentils, and whole grains. Real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. Dr. Greger, our, my producer, Laura, just got my ear. She said, oh, my gosh, so many people are wondering, why isn't he on his treadmill today? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> um, I, yes, I'm not on my treadmill. I am, uh, I'm actually uh, quarantined um, in, uh, in California, uh, treadmillless. Um, uh, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so do as I say, not as I do and uh, go out and get some exercise. <laughs> All right. Uh, sticking with you. Next question is from DJ. If I eat plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, plus 50 to a hundred grams of fiber a day, does it really matter at that point? If I choose to eat white rice instead of brown rice? Well, you know, people don't realize that there are nutrients, these important polyphenol phytonutrients that are actually complex to the fiber. Um, and so uh, the same question could be said for people that uh, drink, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, juice, fruits and vegetables or something. You're like, look, I'm eating a whole food plant based diet. I'm getting tons of fiber. Yes, when you juice fruits and vegetables, instead of blending them, you lose some of the fiber. But I, <laughs> fiber is the last thing I need. But they don't realize you're not just throwing away the fiber when you juice fruits and vegetables. And you're not just throwing the fiber when you when you uh, mill brown rice to white you lose other critical phytonutrients, actually complex of the fiber, and actually only release them to your body in the colon when your um, good bacteria eat the fiber, release the polyphenols, and then get absorbed into our bloodstream, circulate throughout our body, even get up into our brain. So many of the beneficial effects of fruits and vegetables and other whole healthy plant foods are actually attributed to these uh, to these compounds that are complex to the fiber. And so when you throw out the fiber, when you mill away the fiber, um, when you juice away the fiber, you're not just throwing away the fiber, you're throwing away as much as 80 percent of those polyphenol phytonutrients so it's always better to eat whole foods whenever possible dr barnard this next one is for you it comes to us from odanya on youtube how do you deal with the rapid changes from the crisis and still stay mentally okay oh i mean how could people cope with all the stress that we're under uh many people have, have talked about that and i think First of all, nothing is going to make the world uh, a safe place 100%. And, and there is stress that we're going to have to live with. Um, nonetheless, there are certain things that we can do. Um, a few basics. Uh, going to sleep is a good idea. Going to sleep, I, I personally have a rule. When the clock strikes 10, no matter how good the book is that I'm reading or the video that I'm watching or, now, or no matter how important the assignment is that I'm working on, I go to sleep. I'll pick it up the next morning. I make it up early if I need to. But it, setting a time to go to bed that's reasonably early will make you much better balanced during the day. Um, but if you lie down to sleep, you'll find your eyes just aren't closing because you've been working great like crazy. You might not have been getting any physical exercise. So as Dr. Greger was saying, it's good to get out and exercise because exercise makes your limbs and your body tired and tired muscles then demand sleep. Um, a healthy diet it is surprisingly helpful as well for anxiety and for sleep as well. Um, and we don't 100% know the reasons for this, but we did a research study with Geico, in 10, the, the car insurance company, in 10 different cities. And we used a plant-based diet to help people lose weight and improve diabetes. And along the way, we discovered that depression improved and anxiety improved. And other researchers have found the same kind of thing. What we think is happening is that the diet improves the gut bacteria, which feed back to the brain in, in, a, in a in kind of a two-way street. Um, but it also the diet is anti-inflammatory. So what am I saying? Um, we can't make all the stress go away. Getting a good night's sleep is important. Uh, many people, by the way, will also meditate or do yoga. Good idea. Uh, physical exercise is an anxiety producer uh, reducer in and of itself, and it helps you to sleep better. And a healthy diet will power all of those things forward too. So not a complete answer, but hopefully that'll be helpful. All right, Dr. Gregor, putting the ball back in your court. We have time for just a couple more questions. This next one is from Ruth. She wants to know, Dr. Gregor, how can I lower estrogen levels naturally? Well, that's uh, what fiber can do. Fiber can actually pull excess estrogen out of the body. Um, uh, and if you're, I, I, I have to dig a little deeper into this question. So for example, if you're concerned about breast cancer, um, uh, the, um, 
Um, there are uh, a, a number of foods that have been associated with uh, significantly reduced breast cancer risk. So, for example, soy foods, uh, particularly started uh, at a younger age, uh, are associated between 30 to um, 50% lower breast cancer risk later in life. Um, and, uh, and, and then those with breast cancer, estrogen receptor positive or not, ontamoxifen or not, um, there's now been a half a dozen studies done with thousands of breast cancer survivors. And those who consume soy foods actually um, have reduced cancer recurrence rates and uh, live significantly longer, have lower um, um, uh, um, uh, cancer mortality as well. Um, so I uh, would encourage people to um, include soy foods in the diet. They have both uh, anti-estrogen effects where we want them in the breast, but pro-estrogenic effects where we want them, for example, um, increasing skeletal um, uh, bone strength and, uh, and uh, decreasing hot flash symptoms of menopause. Um, also, uh, ground flax seeds. I encourage people to go to nutritionfacts.org, um, and you can pick your condition, whether you're concerned about menopausal symptoms or you're concerned about breast cancer risk. You just type it in nutritionfacts.org, and all um, uh, the, the research will pop up. But, of course, all I do is I, I pull all the research together. It's the amazing work of Dr. Um, uh, Neil Barnard, PCRM, that's actually done the studies. There would be no videos on nutritionfacts.org. I deserve no credit other than just pulling together all the great research that's already been done. Um, and uh, that's why I'm so appreciative um, to uh, Dr. Barnard and PCRM for all the amazing work they do and looking forward to doing more videos based on any studies they have currently in the works. All right. And Dr. Bernard, this one comes to us from Pat on Facebook. Should I get a regular blood test while on a plant-based diet? If so, what should I be looking out for? Okay. Uh, by the way, let me uh, let me add on to what uh, Dr. Gregor was just mentioning about getting away from estrogens. Uh, he's he's absolutely right. Boosting fiber helps. One other thing: skip cheese. Surpri- sounds surprising, but dairy products have estrogens in them that come from cows. We used to think that the traces were really unimportant, uh, but we now do think that that uh, it's enough to actually affect reproductive function and probably cancer risk too. Okay. So getting bl- a blood test. Um, it's all, I'm guessing the questioner did say which particular blood test she's thinking about. But when you go see your doctor, um, your doctor will be, if the doctor is not too clued in about diet um, and you say you're following a vegan diet, you're probably well-meaning but ill-informed doctor might start worrying about protein and things. That's actually the last thing you need to worry about. You are almost certainly getting more than more than enough protein. Uh, but there are some things that I think are worth looking at. Um, many doctors nowadays are rightly looking at vitamin D levels in patients. Um, just to make sure that they're adequate. For many people, they're low. And then you need Dr. Greger's advice, which is get out, get some sunlight. And if you can't get sunlight, then a supplement makes sense. So a vitamin D test is not a bad idea. Um, It's good to get your cholesterol tested, especially if you're not on a plant-based diet, because those rising numbers will motivate you to get on a plant-based diet. The number you want to look at is especially your LDL cholesterol, low-density lipoprotein or bad cholesterol. If it's above 100, good time to start a vegan diet. And whatever it is, it's a good time to start a plant-based diet. Those are a few. Um, Some people will look at their B12 levels, but the fact of the matter is that if you're on a plant-based diet, you you really need to be supplementing vitamin B12, which kind of takes the testing, um, makes it less urgent. So I hope those are a few uh, helpful observations. All right, Dr. Barnard, and the final question is with you. This one from Sandy. Can you comment on nuts? Is there a recommended maximum? Um, there, there's No, there, there isn't a recommended maximum, but, but I do have a rule of thumb. And it's based on the idea that nuts are healthful in many ways. Um, they've got lots of healthy compounds in them, but they also are really fatty. And they can be a bit addicting. So you take those smokehouse almonds and pour them into your hand and, you know, 17 handfuls later, you realize, gee, I think I might have overdone it. Um, You're getting a lot of fat and a lot of calories. So my recommendation is an ounce a day. Um, And an ounce a day is if you pour them into your hand, once it hits your fingers, um, that's when it's more than an ounce. But if it's just in your palm, that's about an ounce. And then don't eat it. Crumble it up and put it on your cereal or or, uh, on your salad or something like that. So if you use them as an ingredient... You're not going to refill your hand and and, uh, overdo it the way you would if it was a snack food. So that'll get you going. If you are trying to lose weight, if you're trying to reverse diabetes, my suggestion, set the nuts aside for now.
How great was that, right? That was just tremendous. That segment actually first aired on The Exam Room Live, and you can check that show out Monday through Friday at noon Eastern on Facebook and YouTube. New shows every single day with extraordinary information and fascinating conversation. So set your calendars to join Dr. Barnard and I for that, and we have posted a link to the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel where the shows air live. And when you're there... After you've liked the page and subscribed to the channel, you can also check out our past shows just like the one with Dr. Gregor from June 5th. Time now for your dose of inspiration for the day. If you think that life is giving you more than you can handle, think about Kathleen Gage and then ask yourself if you've really reached a breaking point. Let's run down the list of challenges that she has faced and overcome. Alcoholism. Check. Drug abuse. Check. Abusive relationship. Check. Wrestling with her true identity. Check. Smoking three packs a day. Check. Health issues and obesity. Check and check. She checked off all of those boxes and a ton of others and was still able to turn her life around and climb the ladder of success. She won a bunch of awards in the business world and then began to focus her attention on her own health, decided to go plant-based and teach others how to optimize their own health by changing their diet. I mean, geez, oh, Pete, right? Kathleen Gage, she wins the blue ribbon for life here. Oh, and for good measure, she also ran her first marathon well past the age of 60. So you want some inspiration? My friend, you are about to get all that you can handle. As we continue here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee, it's time for another incredible story. And my next guest certainly has one to share. And it's one that I think will inspire quite a number of you who are listening today. With that, we welcome Kathleen Gage to the Exam Room. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's great to be here, Chuck. And I feel the pressure already. This is awesome. Oh, there's no pressure. We're just going to have a conversation. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With millions of people watching in. No, but but actually, (laughs) I'm really excited. And and I see that we uh, both have the same hairdresser. I've got my head shaved on the side and love your hair. It's how the cool kids are wearing it these days. Absolutely. You and I are nothing if we're not cool kids, right? There it is. So you uh, you are kind of a Jill of all trades. You are a visibility strategist specializing in working with plant-based and vegan businesses. You're also the host of uh, Plant-Based Eating for Health podcast. So you've got a bit of a media background and you've got your own personal journey to plant-based health to share as well. I mean, there are so many layers to your onion, as I like to say, that I mean, I think that we should just really start peeling it back. And so before we get to the business side of things, let's learn about Kathleen. So you, you were not always plant-based. Matter of fact, you were far from it. Far from it. I was definitely a carnivore to the nth degree. I was raised in a family where on Sundays we would have a big roast. And really, this was the way we ate it. The the rarer, the better. If it mooed, then we were happy. And quite seriously, I mean, it was crazy. And I've been uh, plant-based for just under two years. I was 64 when I went plant-based. And I did it for health reasons more than anything. But what's interesting is since going plant-based, it really has tied in very nicely with my compassion for animals and the environment, but most importantly, the compassion for animals. Um, And I started because I had some pretty bad inflammation. in my mid 60s, you know, I experienced what a lot of people have come to accept as normal. And I thought, well, I'm going to do a little research on it. 
And interestingly enough, I came across a lot of your material, uh, Dr. Greger, Dr. Barnard, um, gosh, I, I can't even think, Rich Roll, a lot of the uh, who's who in the plant-based world. And as I read your story and I watched some of your, your episodes, I was like, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal, you know, to go from where you were to where you're at. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot for seven days. And if nothing happens in seven days, then I'm going back to the way I was. And by that point, I had um, gained more weight. I, I've been a yo-yo dieter all my life. And within two days, the inflammation was gone. And within a week, I dropped five pounds, uh, continued on. I started feeling better every day. I, I'm a runner and not a fast runner. I usually hold the uh, distinction of being the last person in on a race, but I still feel finish and my running time improved, my recovery time improved, just, you know, a number of different things that if I was to sit and list everything that's changed uh, since going plant-based, it's been pretty phenomenal. Well, I'm curious. So you're a runner. I know that you, you ran your first full marathon at 61. Why I wait did. so many years? What was the holdup? You know, I'm a slow learner on some ends, but uh, actually uh, there's a period in my life that is very different than what it is today. Uh, I've been sober for 36 years. So there was a period in my life that I was literally a blackout drinker and I would drink myself into total oblivion into a blackout state. I would come to and start drinking again. And those behaviors actually ended me up on the streets in my 20s. Um, I, I just, uh, I didn't want to be around. I wasn't happy with life and my behaviors reflected that. And it was 36 years ago, almost 37 now that I just had hit a point that I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired turned my life around and I became an overachiever to where I, I was really uh, excelling at a lot of different things in life. Business was one. I've had my business 26 years. And, you know, so my life has not always been like it is. And what I do, I tend to push myself to try different things and I had never done a marathon, and I thought, you know, why not? I'm in my 60s. I may as well. And unfortunately, I, I didn't train as well as I could have, and it was a very grueling experience to cross the finish line. And again, I really was the last person in. They had already closed the gates, and they thought everybody was done. And a friend of mine said, no, no, you've got to keep the gates open. And so I literally crawled across the finish line. So after that, I smartened up. And I got a good trainer, and now I do it the right way. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like anything in life. You have certain behaviors that seem to come to the surface. And if you don't watch it, you can fall into old behaviors. And, you know, I know that's true for eating, uh, with plant-based eating. I know that for me, there's no, uh, there's no deviating from it. I eat absolutely no animal or dairy products whatsoever. And what's interesting is I didn't want to call myself a vegan when I first started because I thought that was a little too radical. And, you know, I've done some pretty radical things in my life. But since going plant-based, I do lean more towards being a vegan in a lot of different areas. Uh, I think about what I, the kind of clothes I buy now. I don't buy any leather products. When I, I just bought a couch the other day and I made sure it wasn't leather. Um, I just, you know, it, it's for me a very ethical thing now. For sure. I want to go back to your, your struggle with addiction when you were younger. So many people struggle with addiction and it's, it could be really anything, you know, for me, it was food for you. It was alcohol. What do you think is it that drove you to addiction? We hear so much about an addictive gene, but were there circumstances in your life that were driving you in that direction that you were trying to kind of mask pain or was it that gene? And you just think you were predisposed to enjoying alcohol a little bit too much. Well, you know, if I if I really wanted to just go on a surface level, I could say, oh, it, I was just inclined to being a, an alcoholic. But if I look at some of the things that happened in my life as a child, I had some sexual abuse that went on, and I didn't identify that until later in life. And I actually covered that up. I didn't want to talk about it. But I think that started a domino effect of behaviors that um, the drinking and the drugs got me out of myself. Uh, another thing is, is that I I happen to have a wife. I've been married for, well, we've been together 30 years. And so that was something that, oh my gosh, how could I be gay? And 
you know, and I never thought we'd be talking about that on your show, but uh, the fact <laughs> is that that was an issue for me, that I grew up in an era where being a lesbian or being a gay person was the worst thing that could happen, and so I tried to check out. And it was interesting because the alcohol gave me the courage to act on behaviors that I didn't know how to um, act on without the substance, and and it just got to a point that I abused it. Um, I think that as I look at it, I have a very addictive personality. That's why I've been so good in business because um, I once I straightened my life out, I became a top performer. When I worked with GTE Health Systems, I was the employee of the month several times. I was the employee of the year. I've uh, when I became a professional speaker, I started getting all the awards. You know, so for me, it was always about that achievement. And what's so interesting is that I've reached a point in my life that it doesn't matter what award I get. It's really about living a quality of life. So as far as addictive personalities, I think that if people get really honest with themselves, they realize that it's an inside job. It's something that's missing. And in recovery, they talk about uh, addiction being a spiritual malady, that something inside is empty. There's a hole inside of us that we try to fill, whether it's with drugs, alcohol, whether it's with money, whether it's shopping, whether it's sex, whatever it may be, food in, in the case for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I, I know your story where you, I love the Taco Bell story where, you know, they, they knew you were coming. So they had your order ready. And it's so funny because what we do is we say, never again, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. And then that one bite or that one drink or that one line, whatever it may be, that takes us down the spiral again. And so for some people, it's very black and white. I know for me, there are certain things in life, it's very, very black and white that I just don't do it. And I've had people say, well, do you think one drink after this long would hurt? And it's like, I don't know, but I'm not willing to try. I'm not willing to give up the life I have today for what I used to have. Right. And I think back to from a food standpoint is the many times you had referenced yo-yo dieting yourself, but the many times before I finally, you know, figured this thing out, how I would try and I would fail, I can trace it back to thinking that I would be okay to have just one of this or one of that. And one of the stories that I tell most often was this one particular diet where I'd lost, you know, 60 pounds or something along those lines. It was a good chunk of weight. And I was feeling great. And I thought that I could just have one nacho. I could not have just one nacho because right. that one nacho led to another and another. And before I knew it, I was going through nachos and drive throughs all over again. So that's why I call it the one nacho theory that some people can't have just one. They will never be okay. And as a society, we never think that just like you, well, after all these years, you can have just one drink and you can handle it. No, you would also never tell an ex-smoker after 10 years, like, hey, you can have just one, you'll be fine. No, because we know exactly. that you will be in line at 7-Eleven buying a pack of cigarettes the next day. Like that That's is just me. what's going to happen. Right. You know, so I was a three pack a day smoker. At, at wow. one point, I, you know, it, and so my life, what I know about myself is I tend to be very extreme in the way I conduct myself and what recovery has allowed me to do, what going plant-based has allowed me to do, what really digging into my spiritual practices has allowed me to do is have a balance in life where I don't have to be so extreme. And it, it's... It, to me, there's times that I think I'm just kind of average and normal. And then I have people say, oh, no, no, that's not average and normal. Uh, being a three-pack-a-day smoker, and it took a threat of breast cancer, and it took a, a threat of a heart attack at the age of 40, which was not so far removed from the truth because my dad had a massive heart attack at the age of 41. So it took those extreme things for me to kind of be hit over the head. And now I try to live, to, uh, live a softer, gentler life and not have to be hit over the head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you were asking, like you said, you never thought that you'd be talking about these kinds of things on the exam room. But the fact of the matter is everybody's story is a little bit different. Everybody's journey to health is a little bit different. And I think that it's okay because, you know, so many people are going to be hearing this who are going to be able to identify with your story. And ultimately, if that winds up with them leading a healthier lifestyle, which yours clearly does and, and the adoption of a plant-based diet and really seizing on that nutrition component, that animal compassion component, then it's all for the greater good. So it all really ties together. You know, I, we are very much a nutrition show, but 
we're more so a health show in, in general. So, you know, right. there are so many reasons why we abuse ourselves and it's important that we also kind of address those from time to time as well. So I'm curious though, let's go on to the nutrition component. So here you are, you say that you're in your mid sixties before you went plant-based. Do you remember the day, the moment yes. when you were like, okay, plant-based is the way to go? Well, I, you know, I do. I had uh, been doing some research. And like I said, I came across your information, came across, you know, Rich Roll's information. And what I liked about Rich was he talked about his recovery. And so I, I resonated with that. And like you said, somebody will hear something and it might be that one thing that gets them to say, well, maybe I need to try this. And it was September 16th, 2018 was the day that I made the decision. And as a writer, I've, I've written several books and I write in my business quite a bit. I was getting really severe pain in my right hand and I, it just was, it was, um, really hindering my ability to just get in the zone of writing. And so I thought, okay, let me see if this plant-based way of living, of eating is going to actually minimize the inflammation. I didn't even think it would get rid of it, but I thought it might minimize it. And literally within two days it was gone. And I thought, okay, this is kind of bizarre because they said you would get fast results, but I didn't think it would be that fast. And so it was September 16th that I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to, for this week, and I gave myself one week, I'm not going to have any meat whatsoever, no dairy. And one week led into another week, led into another week. And then here we are nearly two years later, where I can't even imagine going back. And it's not just the the way I feel, because I'm very conscientious about eating balanced with my plant-based eating. Because I And that was one reason I didn't want to say I was vegan, because I read about junk food vegans. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to eat as close to, to natural as possible and as close to whole as possible. And read Dr. Uh, Joel Furman's book, Eat to Live, and that really made a difference. And so I started reading all the books. I watched all the documentaries. And then it got into the ethics side of, of the whole uh, way of life, of really looking at what, what was happening with the animals and realizing that part of nutrition is where does the food come from and energetically, what are you putting into your body? And what I have found, which is real interesting, Chuck, is that since starting a plant-based lifestyle, I've become much more empathetic to animals and, and I do animal rescue. So it was kind of like, where are you missing the link here? But I've also become more in tuned with the pain that animals go through and that I, I didn't even expect. Mm. I'm I'm curious. I want to go back. I think that a lot of people now are are kind of wondering, like, again, yo-yo dieting. This comes up all the time on the show. You you said that you yo-yo dieted. At what point, though, did it become clear to you that the plant-based diet wasn't going to be a yo-yo diet? I know that you you just referenced a specific date, but I'm sure that maybe even like right away, were you like, this is definitely not a yo-yo diet, or? Yes, you know, that is such a great question. And thanks for asking it. Because when I released seven, I think it was seven pounds the first week, I mean, it just melted off me, because I I swore off diets, it was like, I've tried every diet there is known to mankind and womankind. And at my highest weight, I was about 60 pounds heavier than I am now. And I had resigned myself to the fact I was 38 pounds heavier than I am right now when I started. And I just resigned myself to the fact that I was going to be a frumpy old lady. I mean, seriously, that's what I told me. Okay, you're a frumpy old lady. And I would, you know, wear baggy shirts and, you know, the baggy pants just to, you know, make myself feel better because I felt like they were loose on me. And just the things we, we do to our, ourselves and the, the mind games we play. But when the weight started melting off and I was full by the end of the day with what I was eating, I mean, I would eat these big, big plates of salad with beans and legumes and lentils. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I am stuffed. And I'd wake up in the morning and I would feel great and I wouldn't feel bloated. So I started noticing those types of things that were occurring with my body. And the big one though was the inflammation. I mean, that that was just a game changer for me because it gave me more energy to go out and run more, to bike more, to hike more. And so I really never looked at it as a diet, but the weight melted off. Like within three months, I I released 38 pounds and it was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And never once did I call it a diet. 
So, well, man, that's, that's so great. Um, what about some of the other diets and we're going to put those, you know, in quotes right there, diet. Uh, what are, what are some of the crazier ones that you oh. tried in your life? You know, I'm going to go back a few years and it's probably before you were ever born. Uh, it was the liquid protein diet. I was in my twenties at the time and it this was the big craze at the time. And you would drink a bottle of liquid protein and supposedly you would get your, your protein fill for the day. Well, I became, and I was doing speed at the time too. So it was a nice combination. And yeah, it's like, you know, there's, there's no half measures here. And so what I did is I literally, literally went without a meal for three months and I ended up in the hospital, uh, almost died as a result of it. And I went from about 205 pounds down to 105. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy what I did to myself and I didn't see that I was losing weight and I was in an abusive marriage at the time. I mean, so it was like, there were a lot of elements that played into it, but it was the liquid protein diet. Then I did the master cleanse, which is the, uh, what is that? The lemonade diet or the lemon diet. And with that one, I went 40 days of doing the master cleanse. So, you know, there's always been these extreme sides to my personality. And that's what I have to say about eating plant-based. It has gotten me out of being extreme, uh, at least with my nutrition. It's, it's a very balanced way. But I've done the grapefruit diet. I've done the Atkins diet. I've done, you name it, I've probably done it. Oh, and yeah. one of the most recent ones, it, it's where you, the chicken broth diet or the broth diet or something. And I look at that and I go, you know, that was probably the cruelest diet that I've been on because you're, you're taking the bones of animals and you're soaking it and you're drinking that. And I, I just look at that now and go, wow, that was so off base from where I am today. You know, I'm kind of struck here, the fact that you went on such an extreme diet in your 20s when you were still battling addiction. You said you were in an abusive marriage at that point. Did you Mm -hmm. go on that diet, like thinking you were going to wind up feeling better about yourself? You wanted to have some semblance of control and, you know, just improve some aspect of your life? Absolutely. And I think when we do anything, we do it because we think we're going to feel better, even if it's self-destructive behavior. Uh, It's just like when an alcoholic drinks, they do it because they think they're going to feel better. They're going to get out of whatever pain they're in. And so for me, yes, it it had to do with the fact that I had gained an excessive amount of weight. My ex-husband was not very kind about that. Uh, I was drinking to excess and he was not very kind about that. And, And it was so interesting because whenever we had problems, I had been drinking and I didn't connect the dots on that. But it really was about trying to feel better, trying to look better. And it was all external stuff. And what I've learned, Chuck, is that life and success and happiness is an inside job. Until we fix the inside, the emotional side, the spiritual side, the outside isn't going to matter. It doesn't matter what dressing you put on it. It's just not going to work. Uh, clearly, you're healthier and, and happier today. You said you've been married now for 30 some odd years. To your we've been wife? together. We've been together nearly 31 years. We uh, got married the first time. We did a ceremony five years after we were together, but it wasn't legal at the point at that sure. point. Uh, then we did a domestic partner, uh, a legal uh, document on domestic partnership. And then when it became legal to get married, we were one of the first couples in Oregon to get married legally. So we are legally married. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because that was something that we really had to jump through a lot of hoops to make sure legally our assets were protected because we've built a a very nice life together. We live in Oregon. We have a a small farm with five acres. We have horses. We have chickens. Uh, You know, we we live the the farm life. It's really quite nice. But we had to go through a lot of uh, paperwork to make sure that we were protected in every way, shape and form. Well, I, you know, well, two things. One, if I'm ever in Oregon, I'm I'm just going to invite myself over just absolutely. to see this. That, that sounds fantastic. You got fantastic. a great bedroom that you're welcome to stay in. Bring your wife. Absolutely. Oh, that would be. So, oh man, she loves horses too. But two, uh, I I want to ask, what was your wife's initial reaction when you told her that you were going to switch to a plant based diet? Because I tell this story often on the show as well about when I first told my wife, hey, honey, 
guess who's going vegan? Right. She wanted to bite my head off. Oh, you know? yeah. So, oh yeah. So, so was it the same for you? It, it was. It's so funny you should say that because it was kind of like, oh, no, not a, not something else. And I said, no, no, I'm just going to try it for a week. It's not a big deal. But then what was interesting is, and this I never expected, I started enjoying cooking because actually because of my previous marriage in my 20s, I didn't like cooking because nothing was ever good enough. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was really a typical abusive relationship where there was a lot of criticism. And so I just never cooked. It was, we ate out a lot. I just wouldn't cook. And once I went plant-based, I started experimenting because I knew that if I didn't cook, I wasn't going to eat. And so I started making these meals and Karen started trying them. Her mother, because her mom lives on our property, she started trying them and her mom was like, oh, this is amazing. And I cook all the time now and I absolutely love it. So after Karen saw how serious I was and the changes in my energy, in my weight, in my focus. Uh, There were no mood swings. I mean, it was really incredible all the benefits that she was seeing I was I was getting from being plant-based. And I would say now she's probably about 90% plant-based because I cook most of the meals. And she's very respectful of the fact that um, I won't do any animal-based products at all. Her mom is very respectful. So that's something that I noticed. Initially, I got teased by different people like, oh yeah, this is just a phase you're going through. And now people, they're like, oh, I want to try that recipe. Or can I you know, will you make me some soup? Because I love making soup from scratch now. Um, So it's been interesting to see how other people have been influenced by my decision. Last question before we talk about what it is that you're up to these days. I want to ask, how do you view each day differently when you first wake up in the morning compared now to what it was when you were back in your 20s and in your darkest times? What is the difference between the way you greet the day today versus back then? Well, literally night and day. And thank you for asking that question because in my 20s, it was like, oh God, not another day. And I would either have a line of speed waiting for me or uh, cross tops or whatever drug or alcohol was close by. And first thing that I woke up, I was downing something. And today it's like, oh God, another day. Thank you. And it's not like every day is a bed of roses, but I have tools today that I can put in practice like meditation prayer, exercise, eating healthy, drinking uh, plenty of water. I have the tools that can help me to get in the right state of mind. And I have to tell you when the whole thing with COVID uh, happened, my business went through a pretty big uh, downturn for a short period of time. And I was devastated because 26 years in business, we've had a multiple six-figure business for years. And then all of a sudden there's a big drop. And my old thinking came up of like, well, you must not know what you're doing. What did you think starting a business? And this is 26 years later that I'm telling myself this. And so what I had to do was I had to really dig deep. I had to look at, okay, what does this mean in my life? What can, what actions can I take? And what can I do to make sure that I keep my head on straight? And what I found most helpful And it's just no doubt in my mind that being plant-based made all the difference in the world. Because if I wasn't plant-based, I would have been stuffing my face with sugar. I would have been eating anything that could get me out of the pain. And with what has been going on and being plant-based, I was able to experience the pain in a whole different way and get to the other side of it with a lot of grace. Right. And and had you been in that position without being plant-based, it would have seen... I'm sure impossible. And I think that that's something that everyone can identify with. The circumstances always, they're going to be a little bit different for everybody, right. but there is that, that sense of impossibility. So why even bother? Why even try? And that's the thing on this journey to health. It's not always the easiest thing in the world. You're talking about overhauling a complete lifestyle and ending relationships with food. And I do call them relationships because that's exactly what it is. Ending a relationship with food that you've had for years, maybe since birth. And that's a lot. But it is not impossible to take control of your health. And that is the really just Absolutely. the underlying message in all of this that's so important is nothing is nothing is impossible. You're not Superwoman. I'm not Superman. Nobody who comes on this show has any sort of superpowers. It's just the decision to really push through and find that inner strength and pull that out of you and realize, yeah, 
you know what? I do have this and nothing is in fact impossible. I can actually conquer this and lead a healthier lifestyle. I don't have to be overweight. I don't have to, you know, increase my risk of diabetes, cancer, arthritis, like so many different conditions. It does not have to be that way. And that's what I love about your story. You are just living, breathing proof of just that. Well, as are you, Chuck. I mean, it's like your your story is so phenomenal. And uh, I, I just I'm so impressed with what you've been able to accomplish and the number of people that you've influenced as a result. And when you talk about a relationship with food, I had uh, with little Debbie, Miss Little Debbie or something, those little oh, cupcakes yeah. and everything. Oh, my Lord. But, um, you, you know, it's it's really about choices that we make and the, the quality of life that we want today. And what's so amazing as a result, and I really attribute a lot of my balanced mindset through these very difficult times that people are going through uh, as a result of COVID and, and all the, everything is upside down for people. We don't know what to expect. And what's been really amazing is I stepped back and I, I pulled out my whiteboard and I started mapping out, okay, what do I really want to do with my business now? If I could do anything I want to, and I, I basically was in that position where I could make those decisions. And I actually made the decision to cut off a lot of the old stuff that I had been doing with just general markets. And I went deep into plant-based, vegan, and wellness organizations. And once I made that decision, and this is so interesting about making decisions in life. Once we cross that invisible line and we cut off all other possibility and we say, this is it, this is what I'm doing, everything opened up. And this week, for example, has been one of my best weeks in a long time. And it's just like business is coming out of the woodwork. And I'm like, okay, thank you, God. This is wonderful. <laughs> and, and so it really is about making decisions and acting on those decisions, because I think where people get in trouble, and I, I did this for so many years, is that we're wishy-washy. We put one foot in the future, one foot in the past, and you know what happens to today if we do that. It's not a pretty sight. And so it's really about making that decision and trusting that we're going to do the right thing. So Let's talk about your, your business here. You say you're a visibility strategist. Yes. If I read between the lines, does that mean you're really good with marketing? I am. Yeah, I'm, you know, how can I be humble with that? I've been doing marketing for a lot of years. I've been in broadcast media. I worked for GTE Health Systems in their marketing department. Uh, whenever I was involved with associations, I usually ended up on the marketing committee and then heading the marketing committee. And I'm passionate about it. I love it. And the area that I focus on now with my clients is teaching them either how to get on a lot of podcasts that are aligned with their message or how to start their own podcast show. And one of the things I tell people is don't start a show until you've been on quite a few shows and you really understand the mechanics because there, as you know, there's a lot of work that goes into having your own podcast show. But um, my main focus is helping them to gain visibility through podcasts. But I work with a lot of authors. I work with speakers, consultants, and helping them to get out of the shadows is the way I describe it. Because a lot of people are very good at what they do, but they're so afraid of criticism that they don't put themselves out there. And I, I got to tell you, the bigger you play, the more criticism you set yourself up for. It's just, it's a fact of life. And yet that's all part of the process because it really allows you to stay aligned with what your true mission and your message is. You know, I look at what you're doing and I, I have to say, I have so much respect for what you've accomplished in your life, what you're doing in your life, where you're going with your, your mission. And I'm sure there are times that you, you, you just say, well, you know, I wonder why that person said that, whatever it may be. I had somebody just recently send me this message and I'm like, huh, that was so interesting. And I just let it fall off my back because if you take things personally, you're not going to do what you're here to do. Absolutely. And it is, it is hard to go and, and look at the comments. I mean, the, the human nature is so funny. It's like there can be 99 just overwhelmingly positive comments and then one criticism. And that's what we choose to focus on. And, you know, even though I recognize that, that's something that honestly, I still struggle with to this day. You know, like, what did I do to offend this person? Or what did I right. say to like really have them misinterpret it on a level that I didn't even think was possible? So again, it comes back to what did I do wrong? 
And so that's just something that we all need to kind of focus on. But you're absolutely right. You need to be open to the criticism and just kind of be able to shut that off. Like that's, that's so super important. My last question to you is this, and this is kind of like inside baseball, but it's an important question that I think that a lot of people kind of miss in this particular arena when we're talking about plant-based diets and in in particular whole food plant-based diets, which is like next level vegan. That's what I like to call it. Right. Oh, I like that. I'm but, a next. I'm going to get a shirt that says that. Oh, you definitely are next level <laughs> vegan. There's no question about that. You're like next level life. Like, okay, so, but how how do we take this whole food plant based approach and make that mainstream? Because mainstream right now are the Impossible Whoppers and Gardein products and Morningstar and and things like that. So that's kind of where we are in mainstream. How do we take this next level vegan and make that then the mainstream? That is, uh, that's the $64,000 question, the $64 million question. Um, One is we just live by example. I think the greatest influence you can have is to live by example. In in 12-step programs, they say it's through attraction rather than promotion. And people are attracted to a better way of life. And when they start asking questions, then you can answer the questions. But I think those of us who do have any level of influence to be willing to live our truth, to be willing to stand up and say, this is what is true to me and this is why it's true to me. But I think that it's important not to try to jam it down people's throats, even though sometimes that may be appropriate when the animals are being harmed. I, I understand the uh, the protests that go on and the, the demonstrations that go on. But I think through the writings that we do, the books we do, the, the speaking engagements, when I do speaking engagements before the, the whole COVID thing happened, I would actually have it put in my contract that they provided me with plant-based meals. And the first time I did that, I was a little apprehensive, like I wonder what the client will say. And then I thought, well, it doesn't matter because this is about my health. Um, so I think the more that we can just live the the truth of being plant-based and if somebody has a question, provide them with information and don't try to convert them right away, like provide maybe a book. Uh, if somebody's, let's say that they're having severe headaches and they're having severe inflammation, say, well, you know what I did when I had the headaches and the inflammation, I actually went plant-based for a week. Why don't you just try it for a week and maybe make them a meal? But I think that uh, more and more people are realizing that this is a much higher quality of life. And with all that, like when Joaquin Phoenix got his uh, Academy Award and he, the acceptance speech that he gave, that opened a lot of eyes because a lot of people don't know what goes on in factory farms. And so for them to understand what really is going on, what the truth is, um, and to just live it without try, without apologizing for it, without being embarrassed of it, and without jamming it pe- down people's throats, but just living it as your truth. All right. Well, Kathleen Gage, anybody who was able to overcome abusive relationships, addiction, run her first full marathon in her 60s, go full-blown plant-based in their mid-60s, just transform their life, and and just as recently as a month ago, really overhaul their business again altogether. Like You are just such an incredible, extraordinary human being. And so it's really been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. And I'm sure that you've piqued a lot of people's interest. So if they're interested in getting in touch with you and learning a little bit more about who is this Kathleen person, where can they find you? Thank you for asking, Chuck. Uh, They can go to my business site is powerupforprofits. That's powerupforprofits.com. And my plant-based site is plantbasedeatingforhealth.com. Thank you, Chuck. You know, I have so much respect for what you do and I'm honored to be here. And thank you for letting me share my story. If you want to give Kathleen a follow on Twitter and Instagram, no problem. We've included links to do so in the episode notes, along with some links to her website and podcast. What an extraordinary human being she is. I remember listening back to her interview when I was on a walk recently and just being so moved by all of the adversity that she overcame. 
and just how grateful I am to be here with you today, to have this opportunity to interview people like Kathleen, who have such incredibly powerful stories. And hopefully, you're feeling a little bit inspired right now, yourself. Too cool. Too, too cool. I want to take a second to say thank you to the gang over at Vegan Lifts for naming the exam room as one of the best vegan podcasts for anyone living plant-based. That's a big honor. Thank you, guys. Uh, Natalia and the gang over there put that together. So our hat is off to you. Thank you so very much, guys, for listening to the show. And I also want to take a moment to encourage you on a more serious note. I want to encourage you to continue to learn about the health disparities and about racism and to take a stand. Because the problems facing the African-American community run far beyond hurtful words and fewer opportunities. The inequalities and injustices faced by African-Americans, they are taking a toll on their health as chronic and deadly diseases are attacking their community often at disproportionately high rates. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you about a remarkable woman who has been working tirelessly to bridge that gap and to build a greater sense of community for those who feel as though they are suffering alone. Karen Eubanks Jackson is a four-time breast cancer survivor. She also happens to be the founder of Sisters Network. When Karen was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 1994, she realized that there was virtually no support for women of color. So she founded what would become the nation's only breast cancer survivor network for African-American women. And today, they are still going strong sharing a powerful message of surviving, of thriving, and educating. Karen Eubanks Jackson, you are an inspiration to millions. I want to encourage you to please check out her website at sistersnetworkinc.org. And one final favor to ask today, if I may. If you're not already listening to us on your favorite podcast provider, please head over to Apple Podcast and wherever shows are available and subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee. And by doing that, you can help make the world a healthier place. Because every new subscription and five-star rating helps someone else who needs this potentially life-saving information it helps because it helps us climb higher in the podcast rankings. And the higher we get, the closer we are to the top, the easier it becomes for people to find this wealth of health. So let's give a helping hand to as many people as possible. Please subscribe to the show, leave that five-star rating, and pay forward everything that you've learned here today. My thanks again to Drs. Neil Barnard and Michael Greger and the ever-so-inspirational Kathleen Gage. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based. <laughs>